Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Welcome back to Podcast Elegy. This is Ira Madison III. I'm director Ron Howard. Uh, I'm Louis Vertel. I'm Aida Osman. Hello, hello. We're going to talk about Hillbilly Elegy later. And when we talk about the Oscar nominations, we're also going to talk about the Grammys. Quite a packed award show week, I would say. I have so much to say about the Grammys. (laughs) And also, I'm playing it cool, but there's so much award show stuff right now. I'm deeply high. I'm like I'm like Janis Joplin ten minutes before her death. That's like how high I am right now. <laughs> uh, you are long past the 27 Club, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm in the uh, post Jesus Club. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. That's that's the meanest thing I've said to you on this show. I enjoy it, though. Also, by the way, the song Me and Bobby McGee has truly been in my head for I don't know what reason recently. Mm. I'm not like a Janice stan. She's not really my brand. What a beautiful vocal on that song. Everybody go and listen to Me and Bobby McGee again. Mm. Mm. Cool. I was thinking of Marley and Me this week. See, (laughs) worms for brains. (laughs) (laughs) I truly did have Marley and Me in my brain. I don't think I've ever seen the movie. Wait, it's Jennifer Aniston, right? I barely know anything about it. Is it Owen Wilson, too? It's a Wilson brother for sure. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is definitely one of those. <laughs> it's from the era of filmmaking where a Wilson brother is in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so like 2000 celebrated. X. Yeah, right. Yes. Precisely. The only reason I was thinking about it was because one of the screenwriters of Marley and Me was Scott Frank. One of? Multiple people wrote that movie? <laughs> two people did. You know how Hollywood works, Aida. Don't play carry those on. games. Carry Someone on, wrote on. probably a good Marley and Me script. Scott Frank probably. And then they just <laughs> gave it away to someone else to rewrite. But he was one of the creators of The Queen's Gambit. Oh, oh got he, it. It was his idea. And he'd done Out of Sight, Minority Report um, before, too. So that's why Marley and Me was on my brain, because I was looking up this week for some reason. Oh, mm. I see. It's always interesting. My favorite thing that 100 people worked on as writers is the song Senorita by Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello, which has, I believe, four lyrics. So I don't know who contributed what, but look at the list of people who worked on it, and it looks like the people who put together the Panama Canal. You have to believe that at some point it's just, I crossed the T's and I put the little N-Y's on the N, and mm. so I spelled Senorita properly. Little changes. One of my favorite things about stuff like that, though, is when someone online tries to get mad about a certain pop song, and they're like, so-and-so wrote their own music, whereas this person has, you know... 12 people featured on this song, and sometimes when you go and look at the song, you're like, well, it has 12 people featured on it because it samples a Beatles song. Uh-huh. So for the names, there are the Beatles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you should be able to discern the Beatles if you're making yeah. It's like they didn't write it. By the way, Ringo Starr at the uh, Grammys, I'm sorry, we'll get into the Grammys. I don't mean to jump ahead. That man was looking fit, uh, youngish, and he is 81. Youngish. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I, oh, Ringo. The new Kenya Barris joint, youngish, yes. I love how he has committed to a look yeah. for decades. Truly. For decades. Just truly, truly has it switched it up. Still got those sunglasses. Right. And that, like, snatched little Sammy Davis Jr. body. Yeah. Speaking of people with snatched bodies, I love this segue. <laughs> we barely had time to talk about um, Pepe Le Pew. Oh. And uh, the Space Gem. It doesn't warrant a full convo because it's nonsense. <laughs> uh, but I, I did you know, do a notes app apology for him on Love It or Leave It last week. Which I'm sure cleared everything up. Look at this cross-podcast promotion. And my French accent. My French accent. I know. It's not like Love It needs any um, promo. That's very true. He's got enough. But um, this sort of went under the radar for me because I feel like it happened as you were recording last week. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really excited for Space Jam, too. I mean, I guess I am. I mean, that's just what it, it reminded me that the movie is happening. So, me and my boys won't be watching it because Lola Bunny has been debimboized, and there's no reason to watch it now. Wait, no. she's not a tramp. We're banning Space Jam too. She's not a tramp anymore. No, oh, you missed that. No, they gave she's... her the whole Debrat look. <laughs> <laughs> Lola Bunny is Lola Bunny is not a stud. <laughs> well, you can see her now. The baggy clothing—it's like taking away all of her curves, all of her shape. So disappointing. I'm so mad. As you should be. No, she <laughs> used to look like, a, you know, a comely whore, the way kids want a female bunny to look. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. now she looks like, actually, do you know what I would compare it to? In the original Street Fighter, when Chun-Li is wearing, like, the key pow, where you can see, like, her full legs. When and her tits are in her chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yes. Mm-hmm. And then in the subsequent Alpha version, she's wearing, like, an athleisure look, which actually, like, I would wear. Um, but anyway, it's now Lola's very athletic as opposed to, you know furry fuckable what is this also lewis i just want to warn you comely is not a word to use around me okay <laughs> comely chunly yeah what is this outfit yeah i know right she looks like a gap model she looks like my niece about to go play some pickup basketball Ugh, sharks and minnows looking ass no take it off <laughs> i love how offended we are no. that she looks like a basketball player really <laughs> sets me off that was not the point. She needs her thick rabbit thighs back and her rabbit boobies. Anyway, the funny thing about the Pepe Le Pew removal from Space Jam 2 was that it brought up the conversation that I feel like has always happened, especially since that Dave Chappelle joke. Mm-hmm. Even though Dave Chappelle wasn't the first one to figure out that Pepe Le Pew was a rapist. Um, <laughs> but the internet would have you believe that. The character is creepy. He has no other attributes besides rape. Seriously. If, if, if you canceled Garfield for what groping, whatever, normal, etc., he would at least have other characteristics like eating lasagna and hating Mondays. Pepe Le Pew is like, well, I'm done groping that girl. Guess it's time to grope again. Like, he has a one-track mind. And I like how his only redeeming quality is he's French. <laughs> like, this is just what they do. Right. Yeah. It's a gross stereotype, etc. <laughs> Although, to be fair, when I was at Notre Dame, you know, everyone just kept groping me. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, they can't stop. Yeah. They set me on fire. I was going to say, is that why you burned it down? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I burned it down. I I will say, though, if we didn't have Pepe Le Pew, we wouldn't get Fifi Le Fume, if you know Tiny Tune Adventures. No, you're making that up. And, (laughs) and And the purple... Sexy skunk. We were just talking about Lola Bunny. This is like Lola's like stanky cousin. <laughs> oh, she is great. She is great. Yeah. Yeah. So Pepe did something. 
And we're not talking yeah. about the frog, which is nice. Wee wee. Wee wee wee. A crazy rapist did something good. It's like I'm watching all my children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really care about Pepper Le Pew that much. He has no famous cartoons. I'm not into him. Yeah, yeah that too. I'm not, like, I'm not that mad that Lola Bunny was desexualized, but it's fun to yell. Were people <laughs> even wearing Pepe Le Pew like on hip-hop gear in the 90s? Like, is they that were your demarcation? Devil or Tweety Bird? Is that your demarcation? That lets you know if somebody is jumping, <laughs> That's true. Aida. I did, you know I had a Tweety Bird shirt. I still have a Tweety Bird shirt. Yes, the Tweety Bird shirt. My sister loved Tweety Bird. I was a Tasmanian Devil fan, mm. you know? So, like, I love those Looney Tunes in their uh, hip-hop gear. You do love spinning things out of proportion. <laughs> I was very Daffy-oriented, mm. you know, the cynical snide humor of the Looney Tunes. The speed at which he mm. spoke, yeah. Yes, I'm with yes, you, Lewis. that's the one. I'm with that's you. I've, like, really been trying to settle into my, um, like, you know, gay, sexy stoner era. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it would fit my persona to, like, go on eBay and find some, like, Looney Tunes, like, starter jackets, some vintage. I'm bringing it back. Uh, you should go to the church I grew up in because all I fucking saw were denim Tweety jackets. So shouldn't be that hard to find. Yeah. What do you think about that, Aida? I love it. Tweety and I are soul sisters. We have similar <laughs> head shapes. We have the exact same head shape. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> we have a great episode for you today. I love whenever I do that, by the way. it I feel like I always slip into... Um, SNL. Yes, we just did yeah. SNL, <laughs> and then it's like, we got a great show for you coming up. Shia Jackson's here. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> On Sunday, music's biggest stars said... We are not doing another Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and the majority of them put on their designer masks and made their way to outside the Staples Center for three and a half hours of performances, 20 minutes of dad jokes by Trevor mm. Noah, mm. <laughs> maybe 10 minutes of awards, awards that many of were interrupted by the sounds of buses yeah. outside the Staples Center. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, why was this award show so ghetto? <laughs> I love that you said some designer max because Beyonce and Jay-Z definitely pulled up in just black N95, regular degular. Love it. Yeah. Love that you didn't have to even color coordinate. <laughs> Whereas Taylor Swift had on the full garden on her face. Just whatever was dropped in the Midsommar production, <laughs> she grabbed it and stuck it on a mask. Listen, I will say that she was wearing an Oscar de la Renta. Okay. And she looked mm-hmm. good. She, she did. She looked good. Mm-hmm. The mask made it look even better. That's true. I resist that kind of um, late 2000s hipster mason jar wedding hair aesthetic she had where it's like, Two tendrils and like a light bang, and we took our pictures in front of haystacks. Like I don't like that. But well, I mean, welcome to folklore, baby. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna drag her. She's an indie girl now. Oh, She's right. a Tinkerbell okay. adjacent. You have to let her have it. She <laughs> she performed from the gummy bear set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's get into our favorite things of the evening first, um, because Taylor Swift, as much as I enjoyed folklore. Um, and evermore, the performance was not one of my faves because she really doesn't, except for the long pond sessions, 
I don't believe that she does has the taste and aesthetic to perform this album because it always goes to like a cutesy level yeah. for me. And I'm like, girl, your lyrics are deeper than American Girl plays. And yet there's <laughs> always there's always a mix of aesthetics for her, right? Yeah. It's like the one part of her is like I'm appealing to like the younger girls who like me, you know, and I like this whimsy, but then like the lyrics are more deeper and darker. And I'm just like, I just want her to lean all the way in. Mm-hmm. I feel like she is always stuck at the depth of Disney gaze, which is, I think, a core part of her fan base. Like uh, the whimsy of childhood is and, and being a little bit younger and like romance for the first time, you know, like, please, I want everybody to sound like a hardened veteran. Everyone should sound like Joan Osborne all the time. Um, but uh, a performance I did like, and by the way, not my demographic at all. Miranda Lambert, mm. not that I, she isn't amazing. I, I know the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend album is really good, but she sounded great. The song is called Bluebird, is that right? Yes, okay, thank you, yeah. because I was getting dragged in my group text thread for being like, I'm vibing. Right. I was very stoned, <laughs> but at a certain point, that song hit, and it was after the, the other country songs that were nominated all sounded dreadfully boring. I was actually listening and thinking, country music has not advanced in the past 10 years. Like, every song that I was in the it nomination... It is sleepy. Yes, it is, it is definitely, yeah, what did we call them? Um, ambient bops? Is that what you guys were yeah. calling yes, them? Yes, yes. Um, Lunesta jams? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the, I think that my favorite, my favorite moment of the night was Dua Lipa. Other than the fact that I could see her forehead veins popping out trying to remember choreography, she was like, she, Girl, I, I was Dua behind. Dua is living her best femme fatale tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, by the way, <laughs> by the way, why was she trying so hard to remember the choreography? Because I remember this choreography. She did it on Saturday Night Live. She did not learn shit. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun performance. I have uh, just across the board choreography problems with the entire evening. Like, I was not, not happy mm. about Doja Cat doing her TikTok stuff to say so. Like, can we just lay it down? Can we put it to bed? Can we stop making choreography that is for the kids to do in front of their little tiny iPhones? The weird part of the Grammys for me is always that because it's celebrating the previous year's music, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it is less so than the other music award shows where people will sort of like debut songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only debut here was really Cardi's Up uh, and, you know, a bit of um, Body, which is newer by Megan. You know, it hasn't been everywhere yet, but I love Doja and having to have her come out and do Say So again, I'm like, girl, I know you tired of it because I'm tired of it. But the way she jumped down from that platform like Lara yeah. Croft and landed, yes. I was, I my dropped jaw. Like I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. Doja Cat, unblock me, please. I'm a fan again. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, also, she brings something new to every performance. Like I'm always surprised at the level of um, concept we get from her. Mm-hmm. It's always like very, very complete. You truly cannot argue her artistry. As much as I'm irritated by everything she does off the stage, she is one of the best rappers and musicians I think that we've had in the past decade for sure. But by the way, about mm. Cardi, um, she was about a step and a half behind the choreography, guys. I don't know what happened there. But I was like desperate for Megan to come on in the middle of that well, performance. Not because I'm I'm uh, not because I'm not a fan of Cardi. Oh, for uh, yeah. yes, it was unfortunate because she was, you know, dressed like a VR trooper. And, and it's important ooh, to note Megan, good it's reference. important to note that outfit weighed twenty pounds. Yeah. For why? Why yeah. are you wearing ankle weights yeah, at the Grammys? Why do that? <laughs> do you know who she reminded me of? Gammy. And that is mm. But we interviewed uh, Jada Pinkett's mom. Oh, Gammy Norris. <laughs> how do, how does how with do that you, hair? 
Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, Girl, yeah. I'm sorry, please don't bring up Gammy Lewis because it still frightens me that she follows us on Gammy, we're, yeah. we're not good people, Gammy. You have to move on. Just so y'all know, I blocked my stories from Gammy. She can't know what I'm up to. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do, that. to do that. I need to do that. I get truly horrified by even the fact that, like, my best friend's mother follows me on Instagram. Uh-uh. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want you to think that your son is in danger. Yeah, and as much as I yell at, as much as I yell at Doja and about Doja, I'm just as much of a troll as she is. Like, people don't need to see yeah. the things I post. Yeah. Um, I would say that I agree a bit with the Cardi thing, but I thought that performance was excellent. It was unfortunate that it had to follow Megan, right? Yeah, who is just. The most on point as a live performer. I love every time she does something live. She's so uh, committed. Not quite as bad as the time that they made um, Britney come back with G-Eazy at the VMAs follow Beyonce's Lemonade Medley. Oof. Who produced that? Uh, But um, I thought Megan was my fave of the night. Even though um, I did see some dancers online, Matt, that the um, tap dancing that happened in Megan's performance was like not by people who could really do it. Oh, right. Because <laughs> it was because it, it was inspired by like the Nicholas Brothers and correct that, um, tap dancing where they sort of like jump over each other and like can land in the splits. Um, and they were doing some half splits. Okay, sorry to all the disenfranchised tap dancers that haven't been getting work this year. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, listen, I just love the dancers mad online. People were like, this is what happens when you hire TikTok dancers and not from the agency. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this intramural Girl, dance relax. fight. You know, very step up. Bring into noise, bring into <laughs> representation. That's what I say. <laughs> so I will just say that I loved Megan's performance the most. You know, I love this new sort of um, rendition of Savage. I just really think that she is... She's the moment. The moment, you know? And I loved that when she won her award, she got to have a moment by Beyonce just sort of being like, hey, girl, this is your award. And just so happy for her. Um, I was shocked. First of all, even the first time I, we got a glimpse of Beyonce and Jay... It was like when it sweeped past them. Like mm-hmm. it no, I, I didn't like, think it was them. Wait, are they here? Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, did they just pull up? But that's what truly leads me to believe that people get like tips about if they're going to win and what they're going to win. Because I thought Beyonce and Jay-Z were totally over coming to the Grammys. Or maybe, you know, you know, mm-hmm. they knew Blue Ivy was going to get an award too. That's a lot of black. Yeah, Blue Ivy got it. And I feel like they also, she also probably knew Megan was going to win for like Savage, you know, and wanted to be there to support her. Uh, and I just thought Megan's speech was beautiful. She was more excited about Beyonce standing next to her than winning this Grammy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said, take this little best new artist. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and then there's the moment. We got to talk about it. They are leaving the stage, and Trevor is like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> I cannot believe the Grammys made him pull a Kanye almost. At least they were done with the speech. But, like, you know someone was in his ear and, like, reading this stat to him saying, Beyonce is now tied for the most Grammy wins ever. You need to announce this in the middle of the fucking show. It was so weird. And it was such a stunt. And it was such a circus. And I was so mad about it. Because... They disrespect Beyonce every year. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh, let's like interrupt the show 
interrupt the thing that was Megan's moment and make this like a big circus. It re- just reminded me of how poorly the show must be put together because like mm. a moment like that, hearing about that right as Beyonce wins for like the Oscars or something, that would be part of the narrative already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because they, they mean more obviously than these goddamn Grammys where Mariah Carey only has five. But, um, you know, it's a, and you posted something today, Lewis, about like Bjork and people having like zero. Mm-hmm. A better award show would have built that into the narrative already, right? You'd know going in, oh, Beyonce has the chance to become the most awarded Grammy winner ever, you know? And like there's some sort of anticipation there, whereas there was, no suspense or anticipation built into this show. There should have been a package. There should have been a slideshow. There should have been videos and clips. Y'all yes. knew this was going to happen. You give the of awards away. Of the previous away. Grammys? Yes. Yeah, right. Come on. And also, well, I mean, it was just the awkwardness of the staging, too. Like, whatever. Like, introduce that in VO after she wins the award, et cetera. But, like, Beyonce was frozen in place on stage, like, camera left, like, looking like, where do I stand? And it's, it was creating an awkwardness where there didn't need to be an awkwardness. Mm-hmm. You can't give a Virgo unexpected plans. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's not the gift from Virgo <laughs> she wanted. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I really want the Grammys to reassess either having a host, not having a host, or just having a musician be the host because comedians just aren't cutting it. They just truly aren't cutting it. I didn't really enjoy Trevor Noah's performance at all. I don't know if it's, like, lacking a certain finesse or maybe he's just... Quirky dad comedy is not the right thing that we need for the the Grammys. But give it back to LL Cool J. Because <laughs> that man was on his ones and twos. Do you know what was confusing to me was, I thought his showmanship was right, but like the taste and material was so broad. Mm. And I don't really expect that from him. It was really Billy Crystal level, which, I mean, Billy Crystal's good at that. But coming from the mouth of Trevor Noah, who is, his whole brand is, insightfulness or at the very least mm-hmm. not being cliched yeah it felt bizarre yeah after cardi b's performance when he made a, a lewd joke about wanting to have sex with her after she just did this like amazing magnum opus of a performance i was disgusted first of all and second of all just irritated that it wasn't funny felt so cbs <laughs> um i would say that it was very jarring for me because i feel like the past year um Trevor has really excelled. Yeah. You know, I think that like the Daily Show became its own with the social distance Daily Show. Uh, I think that he has a perfect blend of mixing sort of like the gravitas um, of a political situation with some humor that has like more of an edge to it. Like, I think he's completely differentiated himself from Jon Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait to see what that show is like out of quarantine. But Man, you know, it's like shit like this. It's like, I don't see how he could have won. Yeah. You know, just because like the jokes for the Grammys on CBS are like so far away from any joke that could be allowed on, say, like the Golden Globes a couple of weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that the level of comedy you're allowed to bring. Yeah. I will say, though, I prefer it to Alicia Keys calling everybody amazing and saying it's all about love 150,000 <laughs> times. What the fuck does that mean? Sorry. Doesn't mean anything. She tried to be RuPaul. <laughs> Everybody right. say love. <laughs> well, speaking of John Stewart, though, I mean, he hosted the Grammys in like 2002 and did a bit with Jimmy Kimmel, like in our post 9/11 airports heightened airport security world, where he literally stripped down to his boxers in front of everyone. So I have this feeling that if you're not willing to do like literal stunts and be selfless in your comedy at the Grammys, it's not going to be that enjoyable. True. Um, and he also said ass play in front of the entire Grammys audience, and you know, I, I rock with that. Mm, mm. you know it did have just sort of a weird vibe to it not even just the comedy the fact that he was walking around in a museum almost pointing to 
the Billie Eilish exhibit, mm-hmm. yeah. the Black Pumas exhibit. And here's Harry Styles over here from, you know, the Jurassic period. Very our town. Yes. Everyone watching everyone else's performances. And then, Which was kind of cool. Yeah. It was kind of cool, but it was also, you know, a bit jarring, I would say, just to get into the groove of, like, comedy. And because for a while, it was just like he was, he was walking around mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like Robin Leach. Yeah. Yeah. Just giving you a tour. Also, I don't like that this setup allows for articles that are like Bad Bunny rocking out to Dua Lipa's performance. Like, I know Bad Bunny likes Dua Lipa. I don't need to read a whole article about it. <laughs> Bad Bunny is just like ASOS personified, huh? Man, he just, he, a, a baggy jersey silhouette mm-hmm. is what you're going to mm-hmm. get from him. Yeah. Aida, you can't bring down like the whole E News franchise like that. They do have to make their money. Girl, get your coin. Well, what are they and BuzzFeed going to write? You know? Post Malone freaks out <laughs> at Cardi B's performance. <laughs> that actually was a funny mm-hmm. moment. It was. You brought up Billie Eilish, though. She gave a really cute speech when she won, of all things, record of the year uh, for everything I wanted. And she toasted Megan The Stallion. Deserved, though. I love her. Billie No, I, I do, she too. Won something. I, no. Yeah. It, it was strange, though. Do you think she would have won record of the year had she not had the big year previously? I do like the song. Probably not. I just am surprised she wins twice yeah. in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you with that. It was really nice to hear Billie's speech to Megan because it felt like, you know, the only real acknowledgement we got of the year that she'd had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like being shot by Tory Lanez, you know, but then still overcoming that and like defying the odds with all these hits, mm-hmm. right? You know, and having an amazing fucking years of careers. Like Beyonce sort of got into that, but Billy's speech to her was sort of like this acknowledgement of like, I see you, yeah. I think about you all the time. And I thought that that was just a beautiful sentiment to express to someone who was just feeling embraced by the industry that she's in after a horrific year where it seemed like a lot of people in the industry didn't care and the media didn't certainly care, you know? It certainly wasn't a moment that, like, Ariana had after Manchester, for instance. Mm -hmm. Not to compare both of those, you know, but it was nice to hear Billy give that speech. You know, it reminded me to to bring it back to the Kanye VMAs thing, whatever (laughs) it is. It felt like when Beyonce gave Taylor her moment, right? Right. Uh, And then, meanwhile, Beyonce does win another award for Black Parade, which is unfortunately a boring song, but whatever. I'm full beehive. I can say that. Um, We're not streaming it. Uh, (laughs) I'm still streaming Homecoming. Um, She does win. She beats um, the record set by Alison Cross. Whom I do love. I do love Alison Cross, and I feel bad that she lost now, but man, that's a lot of fucking Grammys. And in fact, she won Album of the Year once with uh, Robert Plant. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad about it, but it was also hilarious how, like, when Trevor was announcing the tie, he wasn't mentioning who. Yeah. Because it does really sort of just highlight what the Grammys are, where Alison Krauss is the most awarded Grammy artist ever. Right. Well, Alison Krauss is also one of those people who is eligible for a lot more awards, given the category of music she produces yeah. but Beyonce is kind of like that too because of all like, yeah. those are basically the two most awardable kinds of music you can make the person with the most Grammys I think he has 31 is someone I've never heard of and is just a composer <laughs> right mm-hmm. so you know there really is no yeah really is. Georg Solti yeah. yes Georg Solti mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yeah but um you have that moment and then of course Taylor wins album of the year again and it's um that's who the Grammys really are though mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and it's it's wild too that even though 
you're like, oh, that's who the Grammys are. You know, here's the young white girl with her third album of the year. Oh, Taylor. Um, yes. She's now tied for that record with Stevie Wonder. Yep, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra and Paul Simon. And so that is just, it, like, it's, of course, we should have already had a woman at this point already, but it's hilarious that it's Taylor, especially what do you think of the one that says she won? Like, she won for Fearless, which. Fine, you know, she was up against I Am Sasha Fierce, which is Beyonce's worst album. True. And mm-hmm. um, ba- the Black Eyed Peas is the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> the amount of times we give Album of the Year nominations to just, like, weirdo pop you hear on K- yeah. KISS FM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then 1989 did beat Good Kid Man City. Mm-hmm. And then this year... There is the argument that, you know, Future Nostalgia, um, I could have given it to either Future Nostalgia or Folklore, but it really just sort of highlights that, like, the Grammys are arbitrary and silly in a way that, like, even when we argue about the Golden Globes and whether they're relevant, you know, like, they at least seem even more relevant than a Grammy award, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just things for, like, people to make jokes about. Katy Perry not having one. Correct. Um, no, it's more notable who doesn't have a Grammy than who has a Grammy, based on how many categories there are and how likely it is oh, that if you're yeah. a popular musician, you'll just end up with one. At first, I thought it's too early for Taylor to have three Grammys for Album of the Year. But in fact, Stevie Wonder had three by the time he was 26. Mm-hmm. People <laughs> underestimate how young he was when he produced a lot of his signature work. Like, he was in his early 20s when he did Superstition. He's a fr- that, What a freak. It makes oh, no yeah, sense. Oh, yeah, a freak of yeah. nature, for sure. No, I, yeah. I wanted to say, at the yeah. very least, I think Folklore was the right choice because it was a great marker. Absolutely. Yeah, for, like, the sign of the times. Like, for her to be able to totally. talk about how she made this mm-hmm. entirely in quarantine. It was giving me Charlie XCX, who was one of the first people to drop an album once the pandemic started. But um, only mm, in the case How I that- feel. Yes, yeah. Yes. I was really appreciative of it being like a good marker of how we're all feeling right now. Yeah, it's fair. Mm-hmm. Also, shout out to the teens on TikTok discovering Charlie XCX now. Oh, no. They're discovering her. And listen, I want Charlie XCX to be more famous. I know. I love her. She's I love my girl. fantastic. Um, there's Strike everything that we said from the record because I actually did not watch the Grammys because Brother Abel, The weekend said that we weren't supposed to. And he boycotted it. So I boycotted it. <laughs> And also, by the way, that was fresh on my mind all the time. When you're looking at all these categories, it's like, well, there's an entry missing. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you want to, for five seconds, lock into this as a legitimate award show and be wrapped up in the drama, Mm -hmm. you could not take him out of the equation. At all. You know, it was just, yeah. yeah, So, And the difference is, I believe this boycott, unlike when Kanye has, like, had boycotts before. You know, like Abel's not going to pee into a Grammy. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to do some cocaine off his Grammy. (laughs) But who has it? <laughs> That's why we have awards. All right. Well, when we're back, Shia Jackson, everyone. <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. 
Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a Broadway star. He's also a movie star. He's also a musical star. He's also a TV star, particularly in the show Julie and the Phantoms, which I could spend so much time talking about. But let's get ahead to introducing Cheyenne Jackson, who's playing Max on Fox's Call Me Cat. He's here with us today. I am here. I am queer. Can you even say queer anymore? Somebody told me I wasn't allowed to say I was queer. You can say queer. I know a lot of people who prefer to say it. Oh, yeah, as opposed to gay. I feel like gay is almost yeah. on the way up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned at work, I said it being part of the queer community. They're like, no, you're a cis gay man. You can't say you're queer. Oh, did Mayim Blaylock say that? <laughs> Mayim screaming at you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not Mayim. The younger kids, um, everyone says uh, they just lead towards queer. Right. I mean, it is a nice, like, all-encompassing blanket, and so then you don't have to really explain. It is a whole new world, isn't it? I do think the word queer, the added value of that word is it still, to me, sounds like someone like Quentin Crisp talking. It sounds like an old British-ism or something. And so I I like that layer that's always in it. It has, like, a touch of sophistication in it. Yeah, I like it, too. And it just kind of, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a nice, understood caveat and we don't have to put ourselves in these boxes yeah it's inclusive without feeling unspecific too for sure yeah. oh, wait mm-hmm. who's over who's looking over your shoulder who is that now oh me oh you can't pull it put uh uh it's an oscar winner from the 60s can you guess who she is i can't quite see her face enough oh, okay yeah it's sandy dennis from who's afraid of virginia wolf <sighs> oh my god i love you how funny yeah <laughs> speaking of queer yeah here we are <laughs> uh uh Cheyenne. Uh, hi. I'm so glad that you are back with us. Take two. Uh, yeah. What people don't know is that the day we were going to record was the Santa Ana winds, uh, which is always a bad day to do anything mm. in Los Angeles because you'll lose power. Mm. Uh, my mm-hmm. power actually had gone out later that day. I think mine there. did too. Now come to think of it. Yeah. And I'm also plugged into, I got my. We're on Ethernet. I'm all, Yeah. I'm in the room this time. I was in my office last time, so this is this is better. Okay, um, Cheyenne. I mean, I, I was kind of boggled recently to realize how long I've known who you are. You still feel like a, a fresh, you know, new Hollywood face to me. When in fact, we're going on decades now. It's You're true. a hardened showbiz veteran. It's true. And my que- <laughs> my main question for a hardened showbiz veteran is: Is performing still fucking fun? How do you keep it fun? I feel like I feel like in a way, performers, maybe even writers, are like this too. Like. 
You do it, you do it, and you finally do it in one way that you feel was perfect. And then mm. you have to keep doing it because it's a job. So uh, how do you keep it fun for you, or is it fun for you? That's a good question. I get bored very easily. I mean, the longest I've ever stayed in any Broadway show was like 15 months, and it was about killed me. So I, the idea of doing the same thing over and over is death to me. I always try to do something new and try to do something different. And I can't remember who told me. I think it was, oh, you'll appreciate this reference. I think it was Tony Roberts. Hell yes. Yes. And he said, uh, shy, say yes to everything. And I pretty much do for the most part, unless it's like a really bad Hallmark movie or something. I try to say yes to everything, even if I've never done it before, because I'll have to figure things out on my feet and as I go. So I thought, I always had an inkling that I would like doing uh, multicam. I think the, the presentational nature of it, I thought it would be a good marriage with my you know, theatrical training in broad, on Broadway and stuff. And it turns out I really like it. And it's, it actually is a good medium for me, but I just really had to learn the whole, you know, I'm a giant person and I'm always like slightly blocking somebody with the five cameras. So right now it is fun because it's challenging and it's a, it's a shit ton of material all the time. New, 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 new. So you have to really be on it. That is fun to me. I just did some animated stuff for the first time. That's also new. That's fun. I think the key for me to keeping it fun is just to, to do something new. I can't do the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. Ira and I, when we interviewed Kat Dennings, mm. uh, was talking about being on Two Broke Girls, and she said how she's her parents are like, you're so loud all the time. Now. <laughs> like it affected how she just communicates in day-to-day life. Is there a, a language of volume and uh, what, what what do you have to learn unexpectedly in order to make a multicam happen uh a lot actually i kind of thought that you just come out hit your mark and do it there it is very 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 technical also we're dealing with the new adventures of covid mm-hmm. so there's no audience and the camera people and the sound guy will only laugh maybe twice and then you're like you just are holding for invisible laughs <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a major calibration that I had to figure out because I've only really done single cam and really like drama the last four years. And I've been dying to do something lighter. And then I got on and I felt like, Ooh, I'm really small. Everything I do, I'm doing is really small. And is it going to read? Um, which is so funny because when I first started doing TV, I guess nine years ago, 10 years ago, whenever 30 rock was, I was huge. And I took an on-camera class and I'd never seen myself on camera. And, you know, in theater, you're used to having to relay to the back of the house. They can't see your face, what emotion you're feeling. And I watched, I was doing this on-camera class and I looked crazy. My, I already have big features and my eyebrows move a lot. My eyes are big. My mouth is chewy. So like, there's a lot, there's a lot to, you know what I mean? I'm not like a still guy. Um, but it's taken me years to learn how to be still and to really trust that if you think a thought on camera, the camera will catch it. So yeah, I, yeah, my first couple uh, goes on Call Me Cat, I felt super small, especially with Mayim, who's just this ball of energy and she's big and she's presentational and she's like done this since she was 10. I thought, how am I going to match? Everybody has their thing, right? Like Leslie Jordan has his thing. Kyla Pratt has her thing. Swoosie Kurtz has her thing. I thought, what is my thing? I'm just the guy. So how can I find my... (laughs) And then once we started really massaging these scripts, getting into these characters, I started to get gain more confidence and settle into, oh, I'm the grounding 
source. I would I watch the show now and I think, oh, every time Max comes in, it's like he kind of grounds Cat a bit. And so I've been leaning into that technically, trusting that, you know, one of the nine microphones that are right out of frame will catch it. And um, so, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting learning experience for sure. I really like it. Yeah. No, I feel like watching Frasier as a kid taught me that Broadway people just love multicams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our show is, is slowly building. More people watch it not live. More more people watch it at home. I mean, that's really the, the, the sense for a lot of uh, a lot of network television now. But we have this growing fan base that's the building and building and building. So I think if we get uh, past the first hurdle of getting picked up for a second season, I think it'll be a show that will be a slow burn and a slow build. And if we get to a place where there's a live audience, that will be that will be amazing. I couldn't imagine. I've only done one guest spot on a on a multicam. I played. I did an episode of Will and Grace, and it was. It felt like a play, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like it felt like an off Broadway play, but with yeah. the most fabulous everything. It was just the, the excitement. So I think I would really love that. I wonder if all of a sudden I would push it a bit, and I, <laughs> I wonder if you can still trust like the the uh, small aspect of it, but. I feel like jumping into an episode of Will and Grace would be extremely daunting. All four of those people are like the most primed at that job ever. You know, like Megan Mullally, there there won't be another performance like that ever. I just feel like you'd be jumping into a pinball machine that was, you know, all the noises are in place. All the, uh, uh, the, the craziness is so well orchestrated that adding any other element would be unnecessary. Was that a tough job? I'm telling you, it was one of the most daunting things I'd ever done because... It's twofold. Like you said, they all are and were, were and are at the top of their game. This was the, when the show came back for the second time. Um, and everything was just, it was the first season back and everybody was so, and they all look exactly the same. And they were all just trying to, like Sean was even upping his com- his physical comedy even more. But that show in particular meant so much to me as a queer kid in Idaho. <laughs> um, it meant everything to me. And so here I was, you're walking. It's, it's like, it'd be like walking into Central Perk on the Friends cat. Like, and then all of the friends one by one walk out and look all the same. It's just <laughs> blows your mind. So I walked onto the set. Yeah. And it was absolutely insane. And to, you know, I've been friends with Sean Hayes for a while. We did uh, Damn Yankees in New York together. Mm-hmm. And... He would tell me that some of the biggest, in its heyday, when Will and Grace was like, you couldn't miss it, and, you know, 20 million people or whatever watched it, like the biggest stars would come on, and sometimes they would just choke, Mm. because it's so much pressure, Mm. and it's so intense, and you do these speed-throughs, you do the scene once, and if you don't get a huge laugh, then the huddle... The huddle of the writers and the producers, it's this famous huddle. They come in and Max Muchnick is like, <laughs> and then they write, they write you a new blow, a new, a new joke, and possibly like whole chunks of dialogue that you've worked on and you got your bits gone in a second. And they're like, you're going to say this, blah, 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 blah. And you have to just, it was, it was crazy. So. <laughs> I noticed Madonna did not win an Emmy for that. I did notice that. Yeah. I say this She's affectionately She's great in that her. episode, though. That's her, her job <laughs> is very funny. I she was on that. <laughs> Specializing in yeah. hits of the 80s compilations. Yeah, super uh, funny. Yeah, no, some uh, people take to it, some people don't. Well, so speaking of the damn Yankees that you did with Sean Hayes, mm-hmm. I did see that performance, mm. which was fantastic. Uh, Jane in it um, blew my mind. Jane who? Uh, Krakowski? And was, Krakowski. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I love damn Yankees now. 
Um, and it reminds me that you mentioned Tony Roberts earlier too. And I feel like you were just like an integral part of my theatrical sort of like upbringing when I first moved to New York. Mm. Cause I will always remember you and Xanadu, um, you know, on the roller skates, um, and those denim cutoff shorts, which was a perfect outfit to see three times. I saw that show three times. Uh, and then, um, also you were in, um, very short-lived, and I'm very sad for him. Um, but I went to NYU for grad school, uh, and one of my classmates was David West Reed. Ugh. And you were in his show, The Performers, with uh-huh. Alicia Silverstone. Mm-hmm. And Henry Winkler. And Henry Winkler and Ari Grainer. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what does it feel like to be, like, part of – I don't know. I feel like you're part of classic Broadway shows, hmm. you know? And at, and at what point in your career did you sort of, like – start to realize yourself like as a person who moved to New York to you know be in theater you know you start to realize like oh I've been in shows now um that kids like me um who were listening to um cast recordings and like high school and stuff like they're listening to me now yeah it's very nostalgic for me. You know, people say be in the moment and try to experience it in the moment. It's it's nearly impossible because you're just like trying to just get through the show and try to find your next gig. So it it always takes time. It always takes in retrospect. But there is a there's a group of us, Shoshana Bean and Matt Morrison and Megan Hilty and we're all kind of in we're all around the same age and we all kind of came up in the same time. And so it's this fraternity of sorts. Um, or sorority uh, <laughs> that that no one can ever take away from us. Like I, I did a film last year, and the director um, brought out his All Shook Up program. Oh wow! That I had signed for him. Oh wow! Yeah, and it's like <laughs> you, you never know who's seen you and what, and what experience you, and what impact you've had on people. And my time Broadway is my my first love, and it's my baby, and I will. It's it's why I moved to New York. It's what first gave me the impetus and the strength to get out of my little white racist town in northern Idaho. I saw a touring production of Les Mis, and I just was like, what? How? This is a job? How can you do I want to do that. So it took me till I was 27 to move to New York and make the leap, but it's pretty cool. I mean, I hear from people all the time on social media who are, we're doing our product, we're doing our local production of Xanadu, and here's our production of All Shook Up, and it's really awesome. It's really, really, really cool. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. And now I can show my kids, you know, I showed them the other day uh, my performance on the Tonys. Right. And they, mm. they were just like, what is, you know, what is this stuff? And, and it's, <laughs> it's fun. And also being, in tele- being mainly known for television now, um, it's fun to have that kind of as my, not my secret, but like my secret power. Mm-hmm. Many people don't know that I sing. And so I'll sing someplace somewhere and they're like, oh, you sing? And it, it's so strange when you think like that was my main thing. Mm-hmm. And that was everything that took me to where I am at today. But now it's just on the bottom of your you know, special skills. It's just, just interesting. But I would just say that that's one thing that I will be glad to get back to once this quarantine is over. I mean, seeing some like theater on... A screen has been nice, but, you know, there really is just something to knowing that you saw someone perform in something 10 years ago. It was only up for 12 months, Mm -hmm. but you're always going to have that memory with you. Mm -hmm. That's what's so beautiful about theater. It's fleeting. It's that one night 
Only that one night is the night when somebody took a picture and Patti LuPone, you know, ripped his face off. <laughs> everybody, everybody happens to have been there that night, but we know only like, you know, 1,200 people were there. <laughs> I was not there that night. I was not there that gypsy night, but I was there the night that part of the ceiling in the balcony fell on someone. Oh, wow. During previews. Legend. So, and then they had to be carted out, but it did not interrupt the show. Of so. course not. <laughs> okay, I am I am curious about the legacy of somebody who has been in a jukebox musical. For mm-hmm. instance, Jagged Little Pill is one of my favorite albums. <laughs> if I had to hear it every day, I might end up mad at Alanis Morissette. Mm. Uh, that's just what I think would happen to me spiritually. If if an Elvis song comes on, are you filled with rage? I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time um, when I couldn't listen to Elvis for a really long time. I remember in that show I sang 17 songs in the show. So doing that eight times a week, it was nuts. And also, a lot of Elvis songs start the exact same way. Like, they're all the same, like, three three chords. But because I grew up listening to Elvis music, my dad always had it in the house. It made me think of him. And now that he's passed, now I just, it's all just love. But yes, after a while, mm. Lord. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you get it. Did, did you see... Did, Jagged Little Pill before it closed or before the pandemic? No, we were actually just talking about Diablo Cody. She's like a girlfriend from my hometown, and I never got to see it live. I'm obsessed with the soundtrack, and I'm a very serious Atlantis fan, but I wish I had seen it. I'm sure that when everything goes, it has to have some, it has to come back because it is, it was, it's so good. So good. And Elizabeth Stanley, who's been a friend for years, you know, we all have those friends who, you know their work, and you, you're just waiting for the world to find out. We're like, just just mm-hmm. do the thing that everyone can finally see what we all see. This is that for her. She starts as like a, you know, a Stepford wife and basically becomes a crack whore by the end of Act One. And it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. brilliantly calibrated. Gorgeous. Gorgeous work on all, on all of them. I hope it comes back because I will otherwise not be able to forgive myself for our mutual friend, Lewis, Matt Whitaker. I was supposed to get us tickets to that show. Mm. Uh, turns out I had only bought one. Uh, <laughs> and when we got there, they were like, you only have one ticket. And it was sold out. So we ended up going to see Little Shop of Horrors for the second time. Oh, not a bad deal. Yeah, but I missed Jagged Little Pill. Was that at uh, City Center? Who, where, where did they do Little Shop? It was on 47. Oh, it was off Broadway. The John Groff was in Groff it. One. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. the off Broadway one. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. And that, I love that show. So I saw that twice, then saw it again with Gideon Glick in it. Um, but we, Lewis and I were talking about something before you joined. Uh, you, were, you were part of the American Horror Story universe. Mm hmm. Um, have you seen the meme photo of all of you where you all look the same? Of course. In it? Yes. Yes. Uh, but, like, <laughs> has that group ever actually been together? Because the weird thing about Ryan Murphy shows is, like, there's, like, various storylines all the time. So it's rare that all of the company would be there on one day. There was, I think, one day where Finn and Matt Bomer and me and Wes Bentley – I think just the four of us. I don't think I can't remember the other guy that's in that. Max, Max Greenfield. I don't think he was there that day because mm. he was being raped by that demon or something. <laughs> that's just a, a Tuesday on American Horror Story. But no, there were. I think there were only a couple days where all of us were together. But no, we we definitely got it, and we definitely there were. I remember signing out one day, and and the the AD had the had the form, and they're like, all right, 
cool. Thanks, Finn. I'm like, no, no. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Matt. You're Matt. I'm like, no, no. Matt and I have been, I don't really see it. I mean, I guess coloring wise and such, but yeah, Matt and I have been uh, mistaken for each other before and I will take it. I mean, he's, he looks like cream cheese. He's beautiful. <laughs> I, w- I mean, I do miss a, like a, a tall, dark and handsome Hollywood figure. Like one of my favorites, um, is uh, an old actor named uh, Tyrone Power, mm. who was just like, you know, like a, a serious eyebrow and like f- sexuality radi- radiating from eyebrows. And at least Ryan Murphy has like zeroed in on that. Like, got those men around still. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. He has a Douglas Sirk quality of finding, Sirk. finding, yes, finding right, a Rock Hudson. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thank you so much. I've, I mean, I'm happy, happy to oblige. Uh, we're happy that you joined us, Shia. Thank you for Again. having me. Yes, thanks for the, yeah. the reboot. Also, by the way, Cheyenne Jackson is a fucking nice guy, guys. If I, I don't mean to say run up to Cheyenne Jackson on the street and ruin his time with his family if you see them, but truly one of the nicer people you'll ever meet. So. People You're will so absolutely sweet. do that now, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to... Lewis, it's true, though. I, when you were talking about how long we've known each other, I was thinking about that one day at Barry's, you know, because we were always, before everything shut down, we would see each other all the time. And... Yeah, there were there was years and years of just when you first started on Twitter and you would just that's kind of was that kind of how things began for you? Yeah, I did that. I had a YouTube show for a little while, but really it was truly wasting time on Twitter. I mean, that's my whole thing. I still arguably that's still my job. So, yeah. well, stay unfortunate, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, guys. This was great. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mère and mère somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Wow. After all of the drumming and humming and all of the fun that we had at the Grammys, we woke up to Oscar nominations. And let me just tell you, I feel like the Oscars are bullying me into watching this movie, Mank, and I refuse to lay down. I refuse to lay down. <laughs> and you should watch it. You should watch it on Mank High. Of course you are. Of course you are. That's so strange. I think it's the one time David Fincher has ever bored me. I can't think of another time I've been bored by what he does. He's so like consummately, compulsively entertaining. Mm, I don't know. I, I like really, really enjoyed the movie. And I feel like I did watch it early on. I saw like a early screening of it. Um, they had sent me a press version of it. So I, it was even before people started reacting to it breathlessly. Uh, <laughs> and I just like really dug it. I think Amanda's great, and I think maybe she's the movie's best shot at an award, I guess, other than cinematography, maybe? Mm. I I actually forget what's a nominated cinematography, I feel bad. I am, however, mad that Netflix poured all their money into promoting Mank, Mm. and last week's guest, Delroy Lindo, was nowhere to be found for truly one of the best film performances of 
the past several decades. Yeah, it's shocking to me that, that The Five Bloods isn't all over these nominations. Um, we have it for Best Original Score, but... Thanks. <laughs> I think the problem is, though, in terms of acting, I think it is a very stacked year. This is the most satisfied I've ever been with acting nominations probably in the past five years. The Delroy snub sucks, yeah. but I mean, like, up against Riz Ahmed, up against um, Anthony Hopkins. You know, these are people who are giving their best performances so far, you know? Yeah, and Riz Ahmed is the first mm-hmm. Muslim man to be nominated for Best Lead Actor, and that's something to clap about. Mashallah, my brother. You forgot Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson. Oh, yeah, Sorry. yeah, of course. I know, that's not, I know her whole thing is Asian. Mm-hmm. I, I messed it up, but I just wanted to throw it's her It's okay, there's in. Muslims yeah. in Asia. There's mm. Muslims in Asia, and she's a hijabi queen. Okay, Scarlett okay. is. Yes, my baby. I would, I would say that it's a very stacked year, but I will also sadly say that I am so sad that the Chadwick Boseman like specter is hanging over us mm-hmm. and like the memory of him and like Hollywood needing to do something to honor him because uh, they absolutely should. He's a fucking phenomenal actor. Um, but his performance in Ma Rainey isn't even mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. my third best of those actors nominated, yeah. you know? Unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that the Oscars is like a tried and true institution and they're not going to just make up new awards, but it would be nice to have a posthumous award added to this lineup that they could give to Chadwick that isn't just like feels maybe like a little pity nomination after his passing I know that's kind of odd to say but Mm -hmm. it it does feel uncomfortable well I will say this is a strange year in terms of the acting nominations because for the most part I feel like almost every nominee has a shot and they all have a strange heretofore unseen reason like for instance best supporting actress like Maria Bakalova in Borat, obviously she was wonderful, made me laugh, had to deal with Rudy Giuliani, whatever. The Olympics she had to go through to make that performance great is just nothing like what, say, Olivia Coleman had to do in The Father, which is a wonderful dramatic performance. I loved Olivia in that movie. And comparing the two is really hard. It, it, similarly, comparing like Riz Ahmed to what Chadwick Boseman did in Maureen's mm-hmm. Black Bottom after, after he's passed away, and it is like a great starring performance from him but that movie it's like it's just was better at a play as a play or something as a movie it like it wasn't dynamic enough sort of connective drama yeah. yes correct it wasn't yeah. really dynamic yeah. they didn't adapt it enough in my opinion it's a well nomination for viola too mm-hmm. but um you know what i'm glad we're in the era where black people can get wild nominations too yeah i mean progress is being made <laughs> <laughs> and also it's she's now the only Black actress to get two Best Actress nominations, which should good make God. nobody feel good. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, God love the woman. She's like in the the highest echelon of our actors. I hope she gets more accolades. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just are depressed to hear it's the first. You know, like man, Stephen Young's the first Asian Best Actor nominee. Like mm-hmm. bizarre. I know. And for Minari, <laughs> you're not a oh, you're not a fan. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, here's what I, anyway. Here, here's what I'll say about Minari. Here's what I'll, if people haven't seen it yet, he gives a great performance and. Yunya Jung gives a wonderful performance as the grandmother, and she was nominated. Oh, she's brilliant. I'm glad she's nominated. She's I'm very amazing. glad she's yeah. nominated. Amazing in that film. The problem with that movie is the final twist where something terrible happens, and then there's a metaphor basically to tie up the movie, feels a little bit too much like a short story you read in middle school or something. It's a little mm. too quaint for how good the acting it's is. giving a rose for Emily. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'll actually expound on it. I found the performance is great. Um, I thought it was gorgeous to look at. Um, but yeah, something about it, too, just didn't really hit me at mm. the end, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, as opposed to um, Nomadland, which is also a, one could 
argue a boring film. Um, and I have, and I have in the really past. But that really hit me more. <laughs> I am not team Nomadland is boring. I'm, I'm really into it, but I understand what you mean. Lots of spatial shots. Yeah. Listen, I thought Chloe Zhao did the damn thing with yeah. that movie. I hope she wins Best Director this year. I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just so assured, and the way it takes in um, the American landscape is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it almost feels like it's another character. Whereas I could say that um, Minari, another film, which is very much like, look at the landscaping, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it, it, it didn't feel, the West didn't really feel much like a character. It felt just like, this is a gorgeous setting, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sure, yes. A little less lived in. But also shout out to Lee Isaac Chog for that nomination. Uh, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Um, once again, as we said out to Allison Brie, I can't believe this girl is doing that and also <laughs> like giving you that great Camila performance in The Crown. I mean, she's really doing it all. I can't think of anybody else who's had a year like that ever, like a very prominent role on a drama and mm-hmm. then directing something and then getting a screenplay nomination. And of course, she's added to the very short list of recent female screenplay nominees. Still, the last person to win was uh, our buddy Diablo Cody, and that was back in you know uh, the 2007 ceremony. First of all, that's your buddy, mm. but I would love to make her my buddy, so <laughs> make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> she is such a keep it-esque nerd. Literally, the other day, she texted me, I can't believe we've never had a conversation about Rita Coolidge before. <laughs> I mean, this is the level we're talking about. <laughs> Dorks. Yeah. Is she the one who drove the magic school bus? Miss <laughs> Frizzle? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I think that the acting is very stacked this year in a lot of the categories. Unfortunately for me, like a lot of the films still feel like specifically Oscar films that I'm not particularly dazzled by. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, like I, there's the Nomadland versus Minari debate, you know, mm-hmm. but there's also the did a lot of people love the trial of Chicago Seven? I did. Weirdly, um, I think it's one. Of, I think it's one of Sorkin's best. Are mm-hmm. you surprised that Sorkin's not in the best director category for this? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was. I enjoyed it, but it is also his greatest hits. Yeah. I would also say it's like One Night in Miami not getting a best director nomination mm-hmm. for Regina King, which is. The direction is just not what is notable about those movies to me. It just it didn't jump out in any way. What's notable is that Malcolm X impersonation <laughs> that I would like to forget. That man is incredibly gorgeous, though. Kingless, Kingsley Benadire. Yes, yes. A gorgeous mm-hmm. cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really just felt like um, Katori Hall's The Mountaintop. Mm. Mm. That play that imagines like the night before Martin Luther King is killed. It's like... Imagine the conversation between him and like a maid um, who turns out to be an angel. Sorry, spoiler alert, but the play's been out for a minute. Felt very much like that, you know? I'm not a big fan of like theater that like grabs these people from the past and is like, let's imagine this conversation that they all would have had. Right. Yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, mostly mm-hmm. because. Mostly because the four of them sitting there and talking about what they talked about, I'm like, I find it hard to believe that those four people, if they were in that same room in that time period after that fight, would be having that conversation. They don't feel human. Yeah, it feels off. 
It's like anytime I watch one of those Hollywood reporter like round tables with the directors, I'm like, Spike Lee is not going to talk to y'all ever. <laughs> Why are they sitting at the same table? It's so uncomfortable. I feel like, and I think I've shared on this on this podcast before, how iffy I am about Judas and the Black Messiah, but I understand its like role in society mm-hmm. and uh, think it's deserving of all the awards. But I am excited for the Best Supporting Actor category with having both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. And I'm, Who's the lead? Yeah, very excited. But Comedy. Look, Lakeith's portrayal of Bill O'Neill and the like actual emotional disarray that came along with it is I think just deserving enough of a win in that category yeah my friend made a comment about that movie that that has stuck with me, which is the movie doesn't know whose perspective it's really about. Like, I feel like it sort of gels the two uncomfortably, even though the performances are really good. And my feeling is Lakeith is somebody who is going to get nominated eventually anyway. So I'm happy it's getting started right now. He'll be racking up nominations for years to come. And this is another thing where it's like, it's sort of like a Minari. It's like, I respect it. And I think the acting in it is brilliant. But at the end of the day, I'm not ultimately drawn to it as one of my faves you know wouldn't even rank up as one of my faves of the year um and it's very interesting actually to have this oscar ceremony where there's there's no film that's like a green book or something like that i don't hate any of these movies yeah Yeah. yeah. there's some that like even the ones i'm talking about in this respect i just mean that they're not personally for me you know but i fully respect that a lot of other people love judas and the black messiah and minari i am exhausted already though at the fact that these movies definitely don't have broad appeal for the most part and we're this is going to be a niche filmic movie buffs oscars i think like i don't think anybody's going to tune in and the inevitable dialogue about is this the end of the oscars whatever whatever when we have had that conversation since the fucking 50s or the (laughs) 60s or the 70s when we have this idea that everybody watched the oscars at one point and all agreed on them and we were all obsessed with there's always been criticism so i'm i'm not looking forward to that Well, mostly because the bigger any sort of big blockbuster film that could have been nominated didn't really get you know um a place, you know, to come out because so many things were pushed back, right? You mm-hmm. know, and like I feel like there's a lot going on with the like COVID drama involving like Tenet, which Snubbed. was also not <laughs> good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Snubbed. You know, but you could imagine a well, you have to imagine a world where the movie's good first. But you you could imagine a world where like Christopher Nolan is also nominated for a bunch of Oscars, right? Because mm-hmm. they love him. But it's just such an off weird year. I would appreciate the insurance of getting Leonardo DiCaprio nominated all the time just because he has the most rabid fans among people who are routinely in the Oscar conversation. So I'm willing to forfeit one nomination to whatever he does, whatever he chooses to do, if it gets people to keep tuning in. Even though he was not nominated for my favorite performance of his, which is Django Unchained, a movie I don't care about. (laughs) Mm, I love that movie, actually. Um, And I love him in it. I would say that um, we'll probably have a lot of people watching the Oscars whenever House of Gucci gets those nominations. Oh my God, those pictures are everywhere. No Gaga and Adam will be getting their nominations. Uh, It's hard to tell if that movie is going to be good. First of all, there are constantly pictures of it, which makes me think maybe they're compensating for something. Fair. Second of all, the outfits are so ludicrous, it reminds me of like, a Rob Lowe lifetime movie about whatever murderer he's playing. You know, I don't know. It's it's like, it's Mm -hmm. it's too on the nose or something. American Hustle, is it just wigs, you know? Uh, American Hustle, what people I care about. Let's put it that way. <laughs> wow, uh, the Amy slander. All right. <laughs> Listen, she's in Hillbilly Elegy, mm. which, which you know what? That's going to be one of my keep it. Um, I think we've had enough Oscar talk. 
Um, also, shout out to the publicists in Hollywood uh, who have decided to boycott throwing parties um, and sending scooters and other um, lavish things to the HFPA until they fix the Golden Globe nomination. <laughs> that is really how you cut the HFPA off at their knees, by the way. No parties. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing they have in access to celebrities. And also, by the way, it's not that much of a power move because, as you know, there's like 12 people in that organization. It's rats in a trench coat or whatever. <laughs> right. But it's also just going to leave a moment for like a producer or someone to just wine and dine them themselves. True enough. I'm betting that happens. <laughs> Somebody else steps up. Uh, it's your turn, Ryan Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're back. Keep it. And we're back. We are back. With our favorite segment. I feel like we didn't have enough Grammys talk, you know? So during this Keep It, I will be bringing it back to that conversation. All right. Well, you know, we had those damn Oscar nominations, too. It was really just sort of like a mm-hmm. two things that, like, we have to talk about on this show. Otherwise, we will get Ringed, angry. Ringed, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's awards galore. From myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> self They'd be from Lewis. <laughs> you didn't talk about the Oscar nominations. <laughs> Okay, well, there's two performances that I really want to get into. I have keep-its for both of them, but I also have empathy and understanding for both of them. Um, The first one being, didn't I tell y'all the baby was going to do some bullshit last week? I knew it. (laughs) I knew it in my heart of hearts. And then he came out there, marched out there with like six Judge Judy knockoffs, and they looked like... They looked like (laughs) extras from Night Court. I have no idea why his background singers were all... All oh. old white people that look like chief justices. I dug that. Why did you like that? I dug it. Okay, because I've seen him do garbage performances. Uh-huh. And I've seen like dancing babies <laughs> on stage. And I've like walked away at Flognaw because I was like, I'm too old for this shit. I did that at Complex but this Con. Was, like, <laughs> this was funny to me. And it also seemed like highlighting the fact that like people, white people usually have like black choirs behind them the black mm, grounds that's a as i point. call them mm-hmm. and this was like oh look at these white women and they were getting it i get it everybody everybody <laughs> did lose their mind i will say this though and i want to preface this with i do enjoy the baby i think he fills a position in hip-hop that is like our funny gimmicky brash he gives me ludicrous he gives me like ludicrous type mm-hmm. videos ludicrous type um persona don't know if it's the same level of talent but let's move swiftly on you know he's got his looks he's fine his pretty face he's fine don't underestimate the he, importance of body He pops someone at a Walmart, and <laughs> that gives him street cred, apparently. Um, I, I, I look recently to Jack Harlow's tiny desk, where he had entirely black people behind him. And I was, at first, kind of iffy about it, but I understood that's the only option. Um, and I think at the expense of making Fair. a funny joke, imagine having the opportunity to employ six background singers at the Grammys and still opting to do the joke. In this great year of 2021, mm. you know, I think mm. that that's—I think that that mm. uh, was very, really give a sister a job. Exactly, a couple, six sisters. Not Tyler Perry did it. <laughs> <laughs> sisters, the cast of Sisters was ready. <laughs> I will say about those particular white women behind him, there, there was such a spotlight on them. I almost thought we were supposed to recognize them mm. because they all looked vaguely like famous old white women. I was like, is that Olympia Dukakis? <laughs> Louis, is that Jane Alexander? Louis is like, my great aunt was so excited, so I just had to be supportive. <laughs> um, so that was the first baby performance that I had opinions about. The second one 
was the little baby performance that we saw at the end. It was the grand extravaganza where he walked through and we pretty much just saw the Girl. exact same scenes of police brutality we have all been traumatized from all summer. Um, and this also was coupled with the fact that Tamir Rice's mother, Samaria Rice, is like, what the fuck are you guys doing? This is ridiculous. Y'all shouldn't be. Why does it keep Why? happening? Why? I don't get But Did the baby do this as well? Yes, this is when I was at mad. At the BET Awards? When I was mad that he like recreated George Floyd's death for a song. For like a song about fucking women. Like it's just, it, it makes no sense. I think also at its core though, the empathy that I have for Lil Baby is like he is a young man with a massive platform who is processing his feelings about police brutality and is coming from a place of like actually experiencing that firsthand and this is how he wants to show it. It was a beautiful performance with Killer Mike and Tamika Mallory, but I did not need to see that and I do not want to see it ever again, period. Here's the thing too. It's like you want people to be able to make the art that they want, but also... I just wish people would add some extra people to their team. Vet it. Because one yeah, time. I don't, one, I don't need to keep seeing police brutality at the Grammys because, for one, it's not for us. It's for the white people watching, right? And then you have to think about, okay, is the message I want to be sending to white people this constantly? You know, like constantly replaying out these, um, you know, faces of death for white people Anyway, you're just sort of putting on the show for, like, white people, you know? And, like, showing them, oh, yes, look at this that happens to, like, yeah. black men in America, right? But then, like, after that, what is it saying? You know? Because, like, I get wanting to put that into your art, but also, like... Exactly. It's, it's just strictly what happened. You know? And it's not giving me something new. Yes, what happened? And then, like, the speeches in the middle of it, it's like, okay. Yeah. But then what's next? As, as much as that video vexed me, you know, at least, like... Uh, <laughs> This is America was giving us something new, you know? <laughs> yeah, Lil Baby should have gunned down if, a gospel if, choir. Yeah. <laughs> Make <laughs> a commentary, Lil Baby. That was, that's what DaBaby actually planned to do. And then the Grammys were like, you can't put all <laughs> white women on this stage. You can't do that, baby. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that exact answer is, you know? But, like, if some people on your teams, you know? In, in that respect, that's the same way I feel about Taylor's performance, you know? It's like... Where's the other person on her team just to be like, you know, you don't have to come out of um, this little gingerbread house. Well, they were at the Hobby Lobby buying tinsel. And that's a really <laughs> hard task. So, uh, Can you imagine Lil, Taylor and Lil Baby at the same Hobby Lobby <laughs> buying stuff for their performances? What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to sing on top of a house. Oh, I'm going to reenact police brutality. <laughs> cool. Oh, cool. No. We're the same. <laughs> we're the same. Artists respecting artists. So those were my complaints about the babies, about the daycare performances. Mm. Also, lastly, shout out to my boys, Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars, Silk who I do Sonic, love. Baby. Silk Sonic is it, and it's Leave sexy. Mm -hmm. And their suits, you know they hit it with the Gucci. Oh, they had okay. to. They had to. Mm. The flare, yeah. the flare pants. Yes. Lewis, yeah. what is your All keep right. it this week? Uh, my keep it is terribly generic. I'd hate to waste it on this, but off I go. Big keep it to the Vatican. Uh, you know, I've, I have been at odds with them for a while, arguably. I grew up Catholic. Uh, I don't practice anymore. If you didn't hear the other day, the Vatican bars gay union blessings uh, and says that God, quote unquote, can't bless sin. Okay. If you're going to denounce gays again, can you please not sound like fucking Piper, Laurie, and Carrie? My God, it's 2021. Please stop sounding like a ghoul in an all-white gown floating above a cross somewhere in the middle of America. Like, 
Also, by the way, the Pope, is it possible you could just meet five gay people? Literally, just name five gay people. I would love to know who you've ever met that you are still speaking as an authority on this matter like you've done informed scientific research on it. I know it's an outdated institution. I know if it's not already out, it's like a step out the door. But it's just so stupid to read. Somebody out there is internalizing this and being like, I have to wrestle with my faith and my sexuality. Now, you don't have to wrestle with fucking anything. This is a straight person who doesn't know what he's fucking talking about telling you he knows what he's talking about. I hate that shit because, I'm yeah. just, you know what? I'm just going to say it. You know, stop worrying about what man is fucking another man and worry about what priests are fucking kids. I saw a spotlight, bitch. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. At the end of the day, I don't give a fuck what you have to say about anyone else's life because you are basically taking money globally to hide pedophiles. Correct. No. Like, like you just move them from different schools and churches, and it's like, I, like I'm sitting in work one day, you know, pre-pandemic and getting, like, a news blast from my high school. I went to a Jesuit high school, um, Marquette High School in Milwaukee, and I'm getting a news blast about, oh, here's the list of the priests, you know, who have been accused of things. We just wanted to let you know. And I'm like, one of them was, like, our fucking theater teacher. Uh, and the cases were from, like, the 80s and the 90s, but, like, who's to say that that also didn't happen while we were at school and someone just isn't ready to talk about it yet, you know? It's like thinking about the fact that you put people in dangerous situations all the time, you have the nerve to say some shit about, like, gay people. I I just get so sick of every time the Pope, like, says something slightly progressive, people are like... Oh well, look at it. Like the, the right, the absolutely, is doing good. yes, giving him accolades. Like he's fucking Elon Musk. Yeah, no. And also, who cares that they would ever make a progressive step forward anymore? There are real gay people you could be listening to. You don't need the blessing yeah. of these people. So, like, center actual queer people in your experience of understanding what queerness is. Right. Center <laughs> Nicki Minaj, who <laughs> angered the Vatican with her Grammys performance. Correct. Yes. Of Roman's holiday. <laughs> Um, that reminds me a bit of what we talked about last week, you know, with the, with like the people who were so up in arms, ready to defend the monarchy, right, mm-hmm. against any perceived slights against them, and it's like, really, it's like you love colonialism that much. <laughs> Trust me, guys, it was not that fun for a lot of people. You have to believe me on this. I don't believe anything racist could happen. Like when William's saying, "This is not a racist family," it's like, have you met your family? <laughs> right historic like i can name all of your family members all of them so like i can identify some of them as racist just offhand so yeah and i'm talking historically like going back so meanwhile you got something to say about gay people let's talk about the crusades yeah jesus christ say less (laughs) it's just you really nailed that ira it's just i hate that occasionally we still have this urge to consider the Pope, the Vatican, an authority on something, like some, somebody who's blessing that we, we could do something with when it's like, no, we're already out here living being an, uh, adults. So we don't, we don't need like the faraway wisdom of people locked in a literal ivory tower. We don't need it. Well, because we also live in a fucking country where like you have to care when someone says that something doesn't go with their Catholic values. It's like, okay, I'm not. So bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it. I've, I've like, done the I, mental I, math, and it's I a I don't no. terrorize people because they don't love the Fast and the Furious movies the way I do. 
I should, though. Uh, right. Good idea. I should. Good idea. Let me start legislating people's bodies over Fast Five. <laughs> and that Michelle Rodriguez is secretly one of the highest grossing actors of all time. Things like that always boggle my mind. <sighs> you know what Michelle Rodriguez is? She's the Texan Kaylee Cuoco. <laughs> just, right. There to do the job. Just, just, just very highly paid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so my keep it this week, uh, we, we've been raging against the machine, the Catholic machine. Uh, I actually have two. One brief one goes to, it's a thing that I wanted to bring up during the Oscar conversation, but I will never forgive Amy Adams and Glenn Close for this hillbilly elegy shit. <laughs> okay, here's, here's my defense of hillbilly elegy. I do think Glenn, for me, is good in it and does what she is asked to do and is the movie's only reason to live. Everybody else in it, I am incredibly worried about. Again, Frida Pinto is just on the phone half the movie. We should be criticizing Frida Pinto's performance, by the way. I just do not know about that performance. <laughs> and also, it's a movie that kind of, the, the point of it, I don't get, like, you had a gritty upbringing, but you got into college. Like I just, I don't, I don't understand the emotional arc we were supposed to get from that movie. Right, because J.D. Vance, you know, who wrote *Hillbilly Elegy*, went to Yale, mm-hmm. and he's now considering a Senate run in Ohio. And Peter Thiel just gave him ten million dollars um, to a pack to help him get elected. And it, despite being a person who, like, the left and Hollywood has decided, oh, accurately captured, you know, like, Trump America and, like, how people really feel. If you look at, like, his policies and what he supports, J.D. Vance actually thinks that, like, even people from Appalachia just need to, like, get off welfare and, like, um, build themselves up from their bootstraps, you know? So, like, here's an awful person. <laughs> but- You've said it now, yes. Who wrote uh-huh. this little folksy book that now has been given a new platform, and now he's going to, like, hillbilly elegy his way into the Senate, and then we'll be dealing with him trying to be, like, the next Holly or Cruz. And so, mm. fuck this movie. And I blame Glenn and Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and Netflix. I was, I, I, I think I, I, I'm here to let you know that I have successfully sued Ron Howard and any embarrassment that Glenn suffers because he's potentially <laughs> winning for this movie, sh- he has to deal with. It's on him I, now, not Glenn. I am so mad that I liked that race car movie. Rush, Rush. I liked Rush. And you feel you're paying for that now? Chris Hemsworth, Daniel Brewer. What are we doing with him? Daniel Brewer or Chris Hemsworth? Daniel Brewer. <laughs> I don't know, baby. <laughs> he was in Bruges, right? Yeah, he is. Which, like, little brothers everywhere love. He, oh, you know what? He was trapped on The Alienist for three years. Oh, damn it. That's usually what it is. When you think somebody went away, they're just on a cable show you've never heard of. Or a network show you've never heard of. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, remember how we almost lost Matt Bomber to The Last Tycoon? Wow, yes. Could have very well just been on that show for years. Yeah. He was supposed to play Montgomery Clift at one point. We never got that. Anyway, what's your other keep it? My other keep it goes to the Bachelor franchise. Again, Mm. this was the finale. (laughs) So now I can talk about the fact that this season was a fucking mind trip. (laughs) Because every time you put a black person into a space like this and they're one of the first, like it's always going to fuck them up. We had Rachel Lindsay be the first black Bachelorette. You know, you have that racist guy who lasted almost to the end and was like gaslighting one of the other black contestants and that shit was awful and then you had Tasha, you know have to be a sort of 
backup bachelorette because Claire um, went off the deep end. <laughs> I watch as she dived in. Claire was like begging for sex from Dale on camera. She's like, we're going to fuck here. America will see it. Crawling yeah. across the floor like she's in secretary. <laughs> <laughs> The express yourself video with the milk lapping. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Matt James, who is the first black bachelor. So hot. So he is bo- so hot. So hot. Whoa. So boring. <laughs> As they should be. I don't want any bachelor to be too interesting. <laughs> and this happens, you know, after all the protests last year. And so, like, you have this sweet, simple man have to, like, talk about race on TV. And it's clear, like, as he's talking about it, even in this After the Rose, that, like, he is still struggling to understand things in a way that, like, his brother who appeared on the show, um, who is a rapper, who sort of looks like Nipsey Hussle. The Twitter was calling him Tipsy Hussle in one of the tweets that I saw. <laughs> it just, they look like just such a contrast, you know? And it was like, Matt opened up The Bachelor by having to sit down with Chris Harrison about how, like, he wants, you know, people to know that he's really in this to find love. And, like, he doesn't want people to be upset with him if he doesn't pick a black girl, you know? Like, if he picks a white girl, like, he hopes there's no trouble, right? The irony of sitting down with Chris Harrison, who then later is basically has to step away from the franchise because he defends um, Rachel, the girl who wins the show, by the way, Mm -hmm. for being in antebellum photos in 2018, right? So you're having this yeah. conversation already with a man that you should be. It was a be- party, by the way. She yeah. wasn't in like old. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't unearth old Matthew Brady photos of her in the 19th century. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, a clear distinction. Um, but you should be having this conversation with Chris Harrison anyway. And now. You did this whole speech where you were like, please, America, don't hate me if I end up picking a white girl. And then you do pick a white girl. And then it ends up being a girl who has (laughs) done this horrible racist thing. And now you look like a fucking idiot on TV. And I, I could, just like sitting there watching him during the After the Rose, it was like the embarrassment on his face. Mm -hmm. The like, I trusted you. I picked you. I have feelings for you. And the way that you did this to me, like, it's embarrassing and I'm angry. And it's just like, I look like a whole complete fool on TV. And then Emmanuel, the um, former pro football player who's, like, hosted the new After the Rose, um, is sitting there, like, walking you through, like, these race talking points and also walking Rachel through them, too. And it's like, he sounds so much more smart and knows what he's talking about. And it's just like, what am I watching? You know? And it's like, what is the best? And it's like, is these, are these the things that black people are going to have to do to like teach mass white Americans things about race, like go through the ringer on a fucking reality show and then sit down on a reality show couch and have to talk about race to them. Like, who wants it as their fucking job? No one should have to learn from The Bachelor. Uh, I, <laughs> that is unfortunate. Um, and then also, now we're getting two Bachelorette seasons, which, that feels like a, a new strain of a virus. Like, we need to keep these contained. <laughs> you, you can't just give us two of something. And also, the cynical side of me wants to say that, listen, they just had Tasha and then Matt back-to-back. And the next season is going to be a bachelorette, and they're not about to have it be another black person again. But <laughs> they're like, "Well, we tried." <laughs> but they did announce um, 
Katie and Melissa as the new bachelorette. And Melissa's going after Katie because they wanted to be like, listen, we're going back to a white bachelorette, but we do want you to know there's a black one on deck. <laughs> listen. <laughs> so I, this whole fucking franchise, it's like this, this has always been the problem, right? In diversifying things, then you end up sticking like people of color into situations where their lives get destroyed on TV by by innocuously racist white people. Oh, man. But we did get to watch a lot of Matt making out. And I do have to say, he looked like he was good at it. So, um, an athletic achievement, if you will. <laughs> I'm going to let you have that, girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thank you to Cheyenne Jackson for joining us. He's so lovely. What an awesome guy. Yeah, I don't go to Barry, so I'll never see him. <laughs> <laughs> My roommate will, though. That's true. That's true. I see him there often. Race and I often uh, 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 do our mountain climbers right next to each other, and I have my mm. and I'm dressed like Linda Hamilton in T2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Keep it is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.